Hello, Massachusetts and beyond. This is Ed Markey, and you're listening to Markey on the Mic. On the mic with me today is Hamden County Sheriff Nick Kochi, and we will be talking about the Hamden County Sheriff's Department's first-of-its-kind recovery home for first responders diagnosed with COVID-19. I hope you will enjoy this important conversation. Share it far and wide and subscribe to hear more Markey on the Mic. Good evening, everybody. Good to good to uh, be with you again. Um, we're, we have a very very special guest tonight, uh, Sheriff Nick Kochi uh, from Hamden County out in Western Massachusetts. Uh, what an incredible innovator he is uh, in terms of of the prison population that he deals with. Uh, and all of the incredibly creative programs which he has put in place. Uh, but first, I just want to thank all of you for self-distancing. Uh, thank you for helping us to bend the curb. Uh, thank you all, and that's our job. It's to help uh, the doctors, help the nurses, help the grocery store workers, help the pharmacy store workers, help the sanitation workers, help the police and the fire and the co correctional officers help everyone who does have to work uh, by not uh, in any way helping to contribute to the spread of this disease. That's what we are doing and uh, we're we're working hard here in Massachusetts. We're still in this fight, but uh, I think we have uh, the makings of ultimately coming out at the other end, uh, although at, at another time we'll have a discussion uh, on what coming out at the other end actually looks like. Uh, for everybody in Massachusetts and in the country. Uh, but, uh, but tonight, um, uh, I want to uh, bring in uh, Nick Kochi. Nick is the sheriff, uh, an incredible innovator. And this whole issue, Nick, has raised uh, new issues that were never confronted before. So you have all of these people in the first responder community who have signed up to actually have dangerous jobs, but they didn't sign up to put themselves in a situation where they can contract the coronavirus and then bring it home to their own family. So this is a unique situation. And what uh, the sheriff has done is he's actually created a recovery program for first responders uh, because we want them uh, to be out there and protecting us, but if they contract the disease, we want to take care of them so that they can protect their own family and then come back out and protect us as well. So, Nick, thank you for your innovation. Could you tell us a little bit about this program? I just love it. I think it could actually be a national model. Well, first of all, Senator, it's great to be with you uh, this evening. And your introduction, when you went through the caveat of first responders, okay, I wanted to get down into a three-point stance and go through a wall for you, okay? Because really, um, that's what this whole recovery home's about. It's about taking our frontline men and women from all facets of work. It's not just the healthcare workers or the police or the fire, the EMS, the correctional staff. We got to look at our judges and our court officers and our attorneys and those grocery workers and those sanitation workers. Those men and women are out there every single day and they're putting themselves out there to keep as much as possible normalcy in our lives so we can go to the store and we can grab our food and we can do those type of things. 
So we uh, developed the first responder recovery home. And what it is, it's an 84 bed uh, facility. Uh, uh, we have 84 single occupancy rooms that have uh, hotel quality linen and restaurant quality food. And we are gonna treat these men and women uh, as VIPs because it's who they are and it's the way they deserve to be treated. Uh, we have medical care. I have the town doctor uh, for the town of Ludlow who has agreed to be our physician who can do telehealth. Uh, we can do counseling, we can do therapy. Um, uh, it's really about taking people, giving them a place to recover, not at home where they can infect their loved ones and come here, let us take care of you. You take care of so many others. Let us nurse you back to health, recover, and then get back on the front line and fight this fight. So who has been, who's been in the facility so far? Who, who have you been able to bring in? So we've had uh, firefighters, we've had nurses, uh, we've had correctional officers, uh, we've had U.S. military. Um, and, um, you know, we have a couple people maybe coming in tonight. They call. Uh, it's always the initial phone call to our reception area. And it's, hey, uh, do you have a bed? Well, my answer is, we got a bed. We got a bed for you. But not only do we have a bed, we have a home. That's why we didn't call it a center. We didn't call it a facility. It's the first responders recovery home because we're going to treat you like you're at home. That is beautiful. And so then as they're sick, they have a home and they don't have to go home to their own families. They don't have to run the risk that they might infect someone else in their family, that the, their family members might have to take care of them. Instead, you create a home away from home. So let me just give you an example of one of our nurses. Uh, she worked in the ED and she came here in, uh, and I would say reluctantly so. She didn't want to leave. She had three kids. But she made the decision based on the health and the well-being of her children. And when she came in here and, and we, we, uh, we processed her in and we, we brought her down to her room, she started to cry. And it really breaks my heart because she did all the right things and she was caring for her family. And here she is uh, away from home. And she started to cry. And I, and I, I just, uh, my superintendent that was there, and then I went down and spoke with her the next day. I asked her if she was okay. She goes, I'm more than okay. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I have a place to go. Uh, I have a place to go to keep my family safe. And she asked me, she goes, but in my room, there's two other beds. Nobody's going to live with me, right? I said, no, that room is yours. But we do have first responders that have contracted the COVID-19 virus that haven't affected and infected some of their families. And my response was, is if you did, they can come too. They can come with you and we will nurse them back to help ah, get them back home. So you're saying if a, if a first responder unknowingly, because they were asymptomatic, has infected their own family and now family members are also sick, the family members can come to the home. Absolutely. I have wow. uh, some of these rooms have uh, three people occupancies. Why not allow the family to be together? Um, there's no, there's no reason to have them away from home. If you have a family of five and for some unknown reason, you, uh, infected, uh, unbeknownst to you, uh, three of the family members, you don't want the rest of the family to have to still be in the home, bring the people who are sick. We will take care of you. We will help you get nurse back to, uh, uh, to health. 
and then maybe a, a partner, a, a, a neighbor, a family member could take care of the other children in the house or the other people that are not affected. So really it's about bringing the home life to our uh, recovery home so people have all the amenities, the Wi-Fi's, every room has a 24-inch TV, every room has a laptop that has the capability to do just what me and you are doing, Senator, to talk back and forth to their loved ones. That is fabulous. Um, so, so how many of the people who you've treated have already left and been able to go back with their families at home? Great question. We've had uh, the firefighter and the nurse leave. They were uh, discharged per their uh, primary care physician and they left with uh, beautiful notes uh, in the room. And they also went on to social media and uh, thanked uh, the sheriff's office. And, and, and simply, uh, when, when, when somebody showed me the thank you note, uh, I said, well, we got this wrong, okay? This is backwards. I wanna send them a thank you note. I wanna thank them for the work they do every day in the community. This was just a small piece of the, the, the state government, the federal government, their county government stepping up and saying, thank you. We haven't forgotten you. And please go back to doing what you do best. You're our heroes. But you know what though, um, Sheriff? Sheriff's a tough guy, you're a tough guy, but you're leading with your heart during this pandemic. You, you are looking around and you're seeing what can you do? A sheriff, what can you do when you, it's not just corrections officers, you're looking at every first responder and saying, I have a home for you. Uh, we will take care of you. Uh, we will take care of your family if they need to. And that's just, that's an incredible story, an incredible message, Nick. And and I know that you've also, you know, you've also thought, well, what, what can I ask the prisoners to do here to help? So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, you, you just hit me in the heart right there. You know that show with Robert De Niro, you, you, you. Got <laughs> You just got me because uh, I had the media with me taking a tour of the recovery home and uh, they asked, do you have anybody? And I was so proud to say, no, we don't have anybody yet. And I don't want anybody. But the call, the first call came in while they were there. Yeah. And my staff came up to me and said, Sheriff, uh, we got a firefighter coming in from a, a surrounding town. So I had to tell that information. And as I said that information, I started to cry. And, um, you know, I just said, hey, this is what we provide because we have to, not because we want to. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy to say we have this for them, but I'm sad that they got to be here, you know? But, you know, it's, it's like here, they are heroes, but heroes need help. And, uh, and in this time where the risk actually runs to their families as well, um, you saw this problem and and it's almost unimaginable how grateful they must be. Uh, and actually how grateful the families must be too. That no, they, they are. They can, and, send, and, they can send someone to a facility that's like a hotel room with first no, class. You're right, Senator. And, and the community has been overwhelmingly supportive. We, we, we generated support from all of our local uh, distributors as far as the food, the restaurant food. When I tell you we're serving restaurant food, we're serving restaurant food. This is coming from all the top-notch places, and they're donating it to these first responders, and, and we're, we're serving them with our, our culinary art uh, staff. Only staff work in this place. 
there are no inmates, no offenders there. Wow. It's only staff. And, um, the families are grateful and they've been, and they've, 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 uh, let us know through phone calls and through emails and through text messages that they're grateful. But this idea wasn't Nick Cochise. Uh, this was somebody in the community that called for action. I'm just blessed that in my position with the staff, with the hearts that they have, that I was able to deliver on the call for action from our community. So um, this is not a Hamden County initiative. It's certainly uh, driven here on our campus, but the community has uh, rallied around us. Uh, the local police and fire and health service agencies and all of our first responder agencies and, and, our, and our grocery workers, they're rallying around us. So this is just us being able to deliver on a request. And, uh, and I feel very confident and proud that uh, I have that ability. But to your point, uh, sheriffs are supposed to be tough. The, the paper, the first three lines in the paper the next day was sheriffs have an inherited tough uh, uh, image that they carry. But under the mask, because I wear a mask everywhere I go when I'm in public, under the mask, you heard the crackling voice of Sheriff Kochi. And, uh, and you know what? Uh, I'm not embarrassed about it. I'm, I'm not. I, I, I feel for people. Um, I think that's what makes... Uh, my department as a sheriff's office so successful, not just here in the Commonwealth, but around the country, because we lead with our heart. We do the same for our offender population. And, and our offenders made these masks. These are personal protection equipment, PPE that you hear about. And uh, we have a group of men and women offenders that are making those masks. They volunteered their time. We pay them a stipend, but it's not about the money. It's about their engagement and involvement. They've made over 20,000 masks that have gone out to every correctional institution, every correctional institution in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, Rhode Island, um, every funeral home in Hamden County, the work, the uh, grocery workers, if need be, um, anybody, the, the healthcare workers that can't get their hands on them, these counseling and the, the support service agencies, whoever called us. We're to some level, we're getting them some level of PPE. And that's because of our population of men and women. And they're proud and grateful. So, Sheriff, you were telling me the story about how you went in to talk to them and to read a letter from someone who wanted to thank them for the work they did in order to create the personal protective equipment to help that person and that family be protected from coronavirus. And then you were telling me what the response was from uh, all of these people who are who are making this equipment. Yeah, we, we got a nice letter in from one of the healthcare uh, providers in, in the local area. I think we gave them, I think we sent out some like 100 masks. And the mask that we're producing um, is cloths and, it's, uh, and they're reusable. You wash them in hot water with bleach and you can use them again. So there's sustainability. So I, I just felt compelled. I went down there and, and I met with all of the men and women uh, when they kicked this program off. And I wanted to go back uh, and, and thank them and, and, and read them the letter. And when I was done reading it, they all stood up and they clapped. They weren't clapping for me. Uh, they were clapping for themselves because they felt this sense of accomplishment and in, 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 in gratefulness that they wanted to portray back to the community. And when one of the individuals was interviewed by the local TV station, they said, it makes me proud to know 
that I'm doing something in a time when people uh, are in need. And I hope, this is what he said, and I hope that this now spills out to my family. Meaning, if my family has to go to the doctors, I hope that the doctor's office has something for them to protect themselves while they're there waiting or while the doctor's seeing them. Um, and I just thought that they're connecting to the needs and the support in the community. Um, in these really difficult times, Senator, I'm proud of Massachusetts. I'm proud yeah. of our citizens. And then when you look at the way people are coming together, they're being kind. They're paying it forward. I can tell you firsthand that my offenders in my institution paid it forward. And they're, they're putting themselves on the right track to go back to the community and be successful. They're seeing the, the, the value in giving, not taking, but giving. And if those are the lessons that we're producing here, we're making headway. Yeah, and so it's actually, it's a silver lining in all of this, that this experience is something that's leading to them giving an ovation, you know, to themselves, to you, to the community, to the letter writer, thanking them for all their work, uh, because I mean, essentially that's what you do. You're, you are a pioneer in terms of thinking about a jail, thinking about a prison as a place where you don't ever want to see him again. You're, you're trying to figure out how you deal with the opioid crisis, you deal with uh, this high percentage of the people who you're responsible for being behind bars because of some drug-related uh, issue. And you've created like a first-class opioid treatment program. Uh, and to try to help these people to kick the habit, have a good sense of themselves, and make sure they get the healthcare treatment after they leave so that you don't have to see them again. So how, how is the coronavirus impacting this in terms of your ability to deal? You have two crises simultaneously now that you are responsible for trying to deal with. So how, what's the formula that you've created? I'm so glad that you said, Senator, we have two crises, because we still do. We didn't lose, and we should never lose sight of that crisis, that epidemic that has been uh, uh, ravaging the entire country and, and the world. You know, so, and it's not the Corona-19 virus I'm talking about. I'm talking about the opioid crisis. So we are dealing still with the opioid crisis and trying to get people uh, with a stable footing underneath them and getting ready to go back to the community. So uh, we've done a lot of things here. Uh, we've had to change our daily operations. We've had to change the way we do business because my, my ultimate goal, the ultimate duty and obligation of the sheriff of a county is for care and custody and protect the population of men and women we serve. And I'm so proud of our, our staff here because I can proud to report to you today, Senator, zero, zero inmates out of 940 we have zero positive cases and we have not had a positive case the entire time and that just goes to show that the that the institutions when properly prepared with progressive thinking sheriffs with medical departments with uh, uh, mental health component in, in units when we're properly prepared to handle these these epidemics these pandemics, and we've had many of them, Senator. 
H1N1, SARS. We had HIV back in the uh, early to mid 90s. We've dealt with um, uh, so many of these issues that have come, uh, come, Hep C and so on and so forth. We've dealt with them head on and we so navigate what, what, our way. Your, what, what is your recommendation to other states, to other prison systems uh, across the country? Because you can see in some states they're having, they're having their own pandemic in yes. the correctional institution. Well, uh, I'm going to tell you this. I'm gonna, I'll be very frank with you, okay? Yeah. Massachusetts has always been on the cutting edge in the most progressive edge of correctional practices around this country. And we should be very proud of that. My predecessor, Sheriff Mike Ash, well ahead of his time, a social worker. I agree with you. 42 years in, the, in this seat that I sit in right now, he helped lay that land and he helped uh, lay the plan for the future of this country. He really truly did. He was a pioneer. So what I say to these other states is, number one, you have to rec recognize to have someone in your custody is an unbelievable responsibility. Care and custody, health and wellness and safety. But you have to have that same in a handoff back to the community. So people with the opioid issue that are being released based on the Corona-19 SJC ruling here in the Commonwealth, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's dangerous. I can give you examples here of three people in county corrections that have been released and have died in the last two weeks because they fell victim to their, to their substance abuse disorder. Mm -hmm. And they did so because they didn't have a plan. See, the key to anybody who's incarcerated, the key to their success in, in leaving is a release plan, a discharge plan that engages them into uh, support service agencies, into uh, plugging them into a home environment, a home plan, uh, an employment opportunity in those wraparound services. And when you don't have a plan, we have set those men and women up for extreme failure. And the ultimate failure of ours is if, is if they die. And it's happening. We've had women released on their uh, uh, ROR. They were brought back in front of the courts. She lived in Brockton. She was being housed in Chicopee in our regional women's center. She had no way, no how, no way to get home. We said, hey, just wait, we'll, we'll help you, we'll take you. No, we, we got you. Oh no, I'm out of here, boom, down the road. How did she get the Brockton? Did she get the Brockton? Mm -hmm. And if she got there, did she get there in a safe manner? These are the things that I stay up at night about. So when you talk about sheriffs and a lot of people, I think if, if we could shake the 25, 30, 40 years ago, the mentality of a sheriff, jailer, that's not us anymore. We're people persons. We have to deal with the issues and we have to prepare them for release. And that's public safety, Senator. Public safety is taking somebody who didn't abide by the rules, couldn't conform to society's uh, rules and regulations, had to come to jail and getting them situated to go back to the community, better prepared to follow the rules, to stay sober, to not engage in domestic violence issues. That's what the sheriffs are doing today. And I'm very, very proud, and you should be very proud of your 14 Massachusetts sheriffs. We speak and we communicate every single day, and we're working diligently 
to continue to support our communities from a public safety perspective. We need to support and work and teach the people in our custody and treat them. But we also need to support and educate and prepare the people in the community for their return because let there's victims you, there. Let me ask you this, Sheriff. The, um, now we're having a, a little bit of a struggle right now. Uh, the small business program has already run out of money. We put in $350 billion just a couple of weeks ago and it's already run out of money. And so the president is arriving saying, we need another $250 billion for small businesses to keep them alive, to make sure they can survive and be there when this health crisis is over so that with that life raft, they can still survive. And I agree with that. Uh, but we can also see that the counties are hemorrhaging money. The state is hemorrhaging money. The, the cities are hemorrhaging money. And we can also see that the hospitals are hemorrhaging money as well. The whole medical care systems. We're saying, well, let's also put in money for uh, the counties, for the states, for the local communities. Let's also put in money, more money for the hospitals, for the nurses, for the personal protective equipment, which they don't want to do at this point. But there's going to be a big problem in terms of the budgets and the ability to keep the police, to keep the fire, to keep the correctional officers, to keep the teachers, to keep everyone employed if there are no revenues. So we're saying put the revenues in. So what kind of resources do you need in order to make it through several more months at a minimum uh, with this uh, pandemic out there while you still have the responsibility of, uh, of taking care of 940 uh, inmates that you're responsible for? The resource we need comes in the uh, tune of a dollar signs. I mean, that's really what it is. Um, we have the staff presently. Uh, we have a plan that's working. Our system is, is running smoothly. It really comes up to, and as the state of Massachusetts is preparing to uh, release the uh, 2021 uh, fiscal budget, I would expect nothing more than it's going to be slashed and cut uh, uh, severely. And I think we're prepared for that. The problem is, is even prepared, we're not prepared to change the way we do business because what we're doing is working. When you have something that's working and you're spending, I think the average right now for us is around 56 to $57,000 a year per incarcerated individual. It's a lot of money, but our recidivism rate is the lowest in the state. It's one of the lowest in the country. So there's value in what we're doing and how we're doing it. When the budget gets cut, you have to shave the, the nice to haves and what we have, which is really nice, I think it's a necessity, but nobody uh, around the country would say it is to portray care and custody of a, of a person in your country, is our aftercare center. To yeah, I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to be, I don't want to be in a situation where you don't have the resources to keep your recovery home in place for the first responders, where you have, you have to cut the program and aftercare for these prisoners when you have to reduce the healthcare program that you instituted to have the total number of coronavirus cases be zero in your jail. 
you need the resources to accomplish these goals very successfully. Uh, and as a result, the prisoners get protected, the first responders get protected, the families of the prisoners, the families of the first responders, they're all protected as well. They don't have to worry that there's nothing there to protect them. And so we're asking for hundreds of billions of additional dollars that, that can come down in, in, to your level so that you've got the resources to be able to take care of these issues and set a model for the rest of the country. All I can say to you, Senator, is thank you, because that is what we need. And it's not just we, meaning Hamden County, the businesses, your, your, your hospitals, your, your, your correctional facilities, your police, your fire, your EMS. We just need the funding to continue to do what we were doing prior to this pandemic. The problem is, is because of the pandemic, people are laid off. Money's not being generated. And that's where people are losing their jobs. And let's be quite honest, okay? They're losing hope. That's something we never want anyone in America. So talk about that. Talk about that a little bit, Nick. Talk about losing hope. Who's talk about the people who are being put in that situation? Well, when you look at the population of men and women we bring back to the community from incarceration, we instill hope in them. We pump them up. We educate. We teach. We cradle. We guide. We lift up. We give them hope to succeed in the community. Right now in the community. People are looking at their leaders, their sheriffs, their chiefs, their representatives, our senators, our mayors, and they're looking for that, that look of hope. We're going to be okay, right? We're going to survive this, correct? And when it first hit in Massachusetts, took it with the state of emergency, we talked about emergency funding for the businesses and for all these uh, people that are now being restricted from doing what they did on a normal day's basis. This is the problem. The money's not there anymore. Yeah. The money wasn't enough to, to sustain. So I would say we need as leaders. But to give hope, we have to say what we mean and mean what we say. And we have to inspect what we expect. We have to deliver. And I would say at the federal level, I, I, I urge you, Senator, to hopefully try to deliver those billions of dollars that can allow and trickle down to your your state and local uh, your state and local uh, agencies, and we can deliver that message of hope. And you know, hope doesn't exist in a vacuum. Hope exists because of the actions which people can see that gives them hope. That's so right. That's, that's my job. My job is to say. I'm not going to relent until we get the additional hundreds of billions of dollars that go down to the county level to make sure these programs stay in place. And then with the funding in your hands and others like you who are just incredible leaders, um, that then looking at those programs, families have hope. They can see that there may be a pathway. There may be a way through which they can move with their family members to the other side of this. But it, hope, is, hope is as a result of actions. And, uh, and what you're doing is giving people hope, both in the first responder and in, the, in your population you. that you're responsible for. And uh, it's, just, uh, it's just really inspirational to hear what you're doing. Well, Senator, I look at uh, the situation we're in around the country and 
you know, there's such sometimes a, a negative uh, persona and perception of politics in, uh, in, in elected officials. And I just say, and I, I feel this way every day I come to work, now's an opportunity for me, an elected official, and I would say to all elected officials around the Commonwealth and in the, in, in the country, let's say what we mean and let's do what we say. Let's show people that they can have confidence in their vote every time they go and they make that vote on election day. We can't say one thing and do another. And I appreciate, I appreciate your conviction about standing strong and advocating for not, not millions, billions, billions of dollars that are needed to give our folks hope to get through this is, is undamaged and as least bruised as we possibly can so we can get through it, we can heal, we can recover, and then we can get this economy back on track where we know Massachusetts was going. And, uh, and again, uh, you're like half sheriff and half social worker. And, uh, and I, I think everyone who's watching this tonight, they can feel this, uh, that you're just this incredible mixture of exactly what we need at this time. Uh, and the model you've set up in both sides, the first responders and in your own prison population, just uh, perfect. You protected them from the coronavirus 100%. And, well, uh, a, a, Senator, I appreciate that. And I, I will just like to, to all the people watching, and I hope there's not thousands, I hope there's millions, okay? And I got to say this, your county sheriff is allowed to talk out of both sides of his mouth. And that's what you just said. You have to be a social service agent for the people we serve. We have to be that way. But we also have to be that law enforcement guy that protects the community and those victims that were left in the community. So unlike many other facets of life and many other professions, the sheriff gets to talk out of both sides of his mouth. We've got to protect, we got to educate, we got to treat, and we got to prepare. But we also have to protect those people in the community. And that's what I take uh, uh, to heart when it comes to my job. That's what I love about my job. Well, you do both sides of that perfectly. You're tough when you have to be tough, and you're a soft-hearted do-gooder, you know, uh, when the opportunity arises and you have to respond, and you do both absolutely perfectly. And, uh, and I'm glad that many people got a chance here to get introduced to you tonight, uh, because you are kind of a perfect example of uh, the way that the whole country should be responding. Uh, and it's a model that I want to make sure that we export out of Massachusetts because we do have, as you're saying, just great people in our state. Uh, we just need it to be the model for the rest of the country. So to Sheriff Nick Kochi, thank you, my friend. Thank you for all of your great work, your inspiration. Uh, and, uh, and I will see you soon, I hope, my friend. But meanwhile, stay safe. I will. You know, protect Thank yourself. you, Senator. Thank, thank you, you. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Thank you for tuning in to Markey on the Mic. Get involved in our grassroots movement today. Visit edmarkey.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And remember, the bosses might tell us where to sit. No one tells us where to stand. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay in touch.